This is The Strategist, episode 804. My name is Zane Belger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, how are you? Did you see how I did not forget your names this time? That was oh. really nice of you. That, yeah. That's about the only thing that's gone right this week, I think. So. <laughs> are we getting into it? You're not even going to give me a short respite before we have to talk about the stuff we have to talk about? Like, none? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like... Uh, uh, it, it's small, this is not a moment for small talk. I, you know, we're at a very interesting time. Well, have you heard really podcast? Should we just end it right now? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Uh, that's a wrap on episode 804. We've been shut down by Corey. Uh, yeah. it, it is a weird week, man. Like, before we get into it, like, I, I don't know. And that's, in fact, how I'm going to start the next segment, which is, I don't know. But it's been a very strange week. It's it's been nuts. It, the the speed at which events are unfolding is really tough. Every night, I think I have gone to bed after reading three hours of news that give me crippling anxiety. I mean, in general, I have a mixture of emotions about this. I think almost everybody does. There's obviously the outrage at the fundamental injustice of George Floyd's death. I mean, killing somebody by putting your knee on their neck is is next level horrible. Uh, then there is, of course, that anxiety. There's concern for what's going to happen next. There's an, a kind of an underlying guilt about what's happened to bring us to this point and kind of all of our complicity in it. And it's um, it's really tough, man. I think, um, you know, it's, it's not the kind of thing that naturally lends itself to our normal podcast shenanigans. But um, these, these are big problems. And they're not just America's problems. They're Canada's problems, too. And it's just such a reminder, you know, when you look at what's happening right now, and I'm not claiming that it was ever a, a perfect world before, but you are reminded that progress is forwards march is not assured, right? Progress is not time zero. And it does feel like we're backsliding here. It feels as though what was never a great relationship with race in the United States or again in Canada has, has become a little dicier as we've layered on social media and lunatic presidents and all of that. And, you know, this more just equal future I used to take for granted in the 90s, it's not just going to happen. We've got to commit to bringing it about. And that is tough. You know, we've got to turn yeah. commitment into action. And I don't know how you talk about these things without sounding kind of trite or basic or uh on the other side how you how you don't do it in such a way that uh that really acknowledges the fact that none of us have hands clean in this matter yeah and Corey, i'm just going to take your comments and shoehorn it into this first segment which i called permeating from minnesota and carter i want to go to you on this you know part of part of having this discussion is that it's really sensitive right like and a lot of us are just trying to figure out what our role is right like we we stand here as 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 a as a South Asian male, Muslim male, two white dudes. I don't really care. You guys are just in the white dudes category. Uh, but like, what <laughs> what you know? The the question I think we had, and you know, for those who've listened to our podcast for a long time, one of our hallmarks is we 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 don't discuss the show, we don't edit the show, uh, we just go right into it. I'd say this is one of the few episodes where we texted each other during this week to be like, how do we talk about this? What do we talk about? So Carter. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that privilege up front that we that we have discussing this situation, but throwing it over to you for your thoughts. You know, it's it amazing. My my daughter came down downstairs. She's a first year university student. She's aware of the world, following what's going on. She came downstairs last night to ask me about it, you know, and and she's used to me having uh, uh, a staggering overconfidence in my ability to state what the hell's happening in the world, and uh, I just don't. I just don't have any confidence on, on what's happening. I, I think I can see why it's happening. I don't know where it's going. I am confused. I'm concerned. Uh, I'm anxious. I've got a, uh, a rolling pit in my stomach uh, that is absolutely unfamiliar. And actually, the last time I remember feeling this bad about something that was happening in the United States was election night in 2016. And I think the mm. three of us were texting back and forth, you know, what's ah, and, and, you know, trying to cling to the last the last possible hope that this was going to be avoided. It wasn't avoided. And we felt that this was going to be bad. Uh, it is bad. It is. But, you know, it, it is not allowing us to what Corey was saying earlier about all of us being guilty in this 
battle. It is not allowing us to ignore our own guilt in this situation. Um, we are all guilty in it, and uh, trying to figure our way out uh, means that we must stand up and recognize our guilt, uh, and we're not going to do that um, by reading Rex Murphy in the National Post. We, we have to stand up and, uh, and, and admit our complicity, ad admit that um, as we are human, we are fallible, and as, fa you know, as fallible humans, we, we, we tend towards racists. And we need to recognize that and address that in everyday interaction. And it's, it's hard. Uh, Carter, I'm, Corey, I want to go to you in a second, but I want to pick something up that you just put down, Carter, which is your anxiety. I don't want to make this a therapy session, but in some ways it kind of is. Like, what are you anxious about? Like, explain to me where that anxiety comes from. Uh, uh, well, the anxiety comes from not knowing how this ends. Um, hmm. Politics is usually very static, Right. Uh, the truth of the matter is that the next party that gets elected to be the governing party of Canada will not differ the country of Canada that much. We like to play this game where the liberals are so much different than the, 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 the conservatives, right? And the conservatives are different than the progressive conservatives. Well, they are, but they're playing around a very, very small uh, segment of the, the total governance structure. What we're seeing right now is the undermining of the norm. George W. Bush um, was the worst president ever. But in the end, he really wasn't that bad. He didn't undermine the structures of government. He did not undermine that which holds the, the, the republic together. And we are seeing so many norms broken right now that when you take the Justice Department and, and break it apart and have the, the FBI start to investigate its own members, and when you have the Justice Department dropping uh, dropping charges against the president's cronies. That is a fundamental undermining of that which we have come to know. It wouldn't have happened in, you know, a in the George W. Bush presidency. It wouldn't have happened in the, in the Obama presidency. And we'd like to pretend that these things were corrupt. This is this is a whole different level of corruption that we see only with tin pot dictators. And because of that. You know, I think that we know we've seen the path that takes us to tin pot dictators. We've seen it implemented before, and we've always said it can't happen in a country like the United States or a country like Canada, except it can. It can, yeah. and it does, and that's what the problem is, and that's why I'm anxious. You know, Corey, this this conversation we're having is is rooted to what you introduced, which is the murder of, of, of George Floyd in, in, in Minneapolis, uh, which has kind of sparked these protests across the country, most of them largely peaceful. And there's also been this, I don't even know how to ask this, but like this, this conversation of expanding the scope beyond what is a story about the systemic anti-Black racism in the United States. And so how does it kind of sit with you when you're observing this conversation in the US right now, whether from the angle of were you surprised that it's permeated in Canada, firstly? But secondly, as people try to expand the scope of this to all types of injustice and corruption, et cetera, where it's actually a very pinpointed thing we're discussing? Well, it's um, it's the kindling, but there was a whole pile of wood there. And, you know, I think, Carter, George Bush was pretty bad if you happen to live in large swaths of the world, including, oh, I don't know, poor neighborhoods of New Orleans. And I don't think... Uh, he gets a pass on this. I think the FBI should investigate its own members, keeps them from investigating a bunch of people who don't deserve to be investigated. Um, but uh, listen, I, I guess my broader point here, not to be flip, is that these these are long, long-lived challenges. Um, it, th these have been going on for some time. And like in so many other things in politics and, and life in general, there is just sometimes that one moment that becomes totemic. It becomes crystallizing and it tells you exactly why in the plainest, simplest terms, why you've got a problem and why action is needed now. And to have a police officer, a white police officer, put his knee on the neck of a black man pleading for his life using the same words, I can't breathe, as have been dealt with in the past, uh, or not dealt with in the past more accurately, and just to remember that nothing has changed on that front, right? And that we've got a real problem here. I think it, it's a big part of why we are where we are right now. And um, 
and there are no easy solutions to it if you happen to be a, a government, even a, a deeply concerned government, a government that would like to do something about it, because we, we tend to put big faith in, in politicians to solve these problems, but you don't solve overnight a problem that has hundreds of years of history. It just doesn't happen. And yeah, that's a tough place. Yeah, Carter, I want to pick up on that, which is this concept of governments and what they should be doing. Like, let's look at the U.S. right now. You know, we're, we're sitting here on, on Monday. Uh, Donald Trump today for a photo op apparently, uh, brings out the National Guard, takes these peaceful protesters in Washington who are protesting, clears them off the streets using a- any force and means necessary. What what should governments be doing here? We clearly know that's not the answer. But what is their role in, 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 in a protest like this? Well, the, uh, my my first an- answer is that it takes two to fight, right? So if if someone is is angry and they are upset and they want to fight and they want to lash out, uh, and I, I would argue with with great reason. I mean, they, they are they sh- people should be angry, sh- people should be wanting to to, to lash out. Um, then it is incumbent upon government to give them that space to do that, which which means defining and and working with protesters to be able to scream at the top of their lungs in a safe environment for the protesters, for the police, and for uh, general citizens. And that can be managed in many different ways, but it, it isn't managed by lining up on the other side of the street with, with your riot gear, rubber bullets, tear gas. Uh, it, it, that's not how you de-escalate something. And those the police are civil servants that report to the civic governance structure or the state governance structure, or in some cases, the national governance structure. They need to be told by the politicians that lead them to stand down and to uh, enable the space for the screams from this community to be heard. And uh, I'm, I'm frustrated uh, to no end that every time I see the police lining up to to fight, I know that it's going to lead to confrontation. Whereas when you watch those many, many, many different times, when and we've seen great examples of this in the videos, of many police forces lining up to march with the protesters, um, it it takes the it takes the fire still there, but the 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 the, the, the accelerant is taken away. And that's what civic government and that's what municipal governments and, that, and that's what state and, and national governments should be doing. And instead, what we're seeing is um, hard ass. I'm going to fight uh, bullies, um, gangs that are that are uh, fighting on as law enforcement. They're, they're no different than any other bullies trying to bully their way in. And, and I, I get very, very frustrated because that's the, that to me is the first step of the government processes remind, reminder that governments lead these these uh, these police services and governments need to set the terms of engagement Corey, you know you've you've seen politics being played on from the inside you've wore political hats in the past do you feel like in normal times a situation like this if you're dealing with it in the white house and you're not donald trump's administration are you removing your political hat because this is just so above politics. Uh, I just want to get give, give people a sense like how these things kind of work uh, in, in normal times. Uh, because right now we've got a president who's willing to combat, willing to fight, uh, is probably relishing what's happening because uh, he probably sees an upside with its distraction. But in normal times, are the political is the political hat off and you're dealing with this as a strict crisis? Well, I think that you're confusing politics and political games. And it's never a time beyond politics. I, I think it's such a stupid nonsense thing to say like after a shooting, oh, this is not the time for the politics. Yeah. God forbid we actually do something about it. Oh, uh, you know, uh, there's a moment where there's riots in the street over the treatment of black men and women in the United States. Is this not the time to deal with this issue? Has this not brought it into relief? But it is definitely the time most administrations would put away the political games, right? It does not become about points. It becomes about politics in the small P sense where you are trying to navigate consensus and will and and pull together a solution to a challenge here. And that involves reaching across the aisle, that involves bringing in stakeholders, and that involves just, just meeting the moment 
with its inverse. So if things are too hot, you become calm and rational. If these things are just too, too dead, you bring the heat, the excitement, right? And I think that's the big difference between George W. Bush and Donald Trump, by the way, um, because I don't give George W. Bush a pass on almost anything. But I will say this, he, he didn't care enough, but he knew when he was supposed to try to care enough, right? And, and he knew when he had to kind of put those things aside and, and be president or play president, whatever you want to say there. And you don't solve a problem like this overnight, but that's not an excuse to do nothing or double down on the problem. You try, you try to be better, you try to improve, or at least that's what you normally would try to do. And when you hit a moment like this, when you hit this, just this total gut check, oh my Lord, what do we do next? That's when in a normal functioning democracy, the leader picks up the phone and calls the leader of the opposition and says, we got a real problem here. And I need to know that you and me can stand together and try to do the right thing here. Does anybody believe Donald Trump would do that? Does anybody believe Donald Trump would call Joe Biden and say, Joe, this is a time when Americans need to see their leaders speaking with one voice uh, towards our better angels. I, I just don't believe that for a moment. Instead, we have a pre- – well, obviously, today the guy cleared out uh, the front of the White House and uh, with tear gas, peaceful yeah. protesters, and yeah. went to hold a Bible in front of a church. I mean, talk about fucking crazy. So, so yeah, I mean, Zane, to your point – you do normally see different things here. You see the drop of games, but that doesn't mean it's the end of politics. Yeah, no, I like this. I like that that you went after me on this to 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 make that distinction because Carter, I want to go to you. We talked about governments. What should governments in waiting, i.e. Joe Biden to Corey's point, be doing right now? Right? We see him trying to penetrate winning an election in November. He also wants to appear and probably is significantly more empathetic than than his competitor. So like how how is one trying to strike that balance if I'm Joe Biden right now, i.e. president in waiting for for many folks? Well this is gonna sound crass. Um, but there is nothing more important than Joe Biden winning in November. Uh, because he needs to make sure that there's not a second Trump uh, term. Because a, a second Trump term means the further erosion of the government structures and forms that we have come we, we now see we need, right? We need, we need uh, strong courts. We need strong uh, processes to ensure that the, the Americans and North Americans and the world is safe in the future. And so he has to win. So what he's doing, I think, is actually really good. You know, he's going out and meeting with people. He's listening. I mean, if there's one, one set of uh, one word that, that should govern our action – uh, through all of this, it is listen. Uh, and I am trying to hear that which is being said. And I want to give everybody the opportunity to say it as loudly as possible. And the only, well, not the only, but the, the political leader that I see that is actually uh, trying to do that is Joe Biden. Now, he could try not to say stupid things um, more. That would be helpful. I mean, him saying that, you know, black voters that aren't going to vote for him probably aren't, aren't really black, not helping, not helping much. Now, that was largely forgotten um, because of circumstances, and, and I think we're lucky that way. But uh, Joe Biden may not be rescued by circumstances in the future. So there's two things. Get out there and listen, number one. Number two is, is please, God, Joe, please listen to us all here. Don't say something stupid. Um, the, the folksy Uncle Joe stuff is... Uh, Maybe cute in times where there's not a crisis, but this is it, man. America's on fire, and you can't be Uncle Joe. You got to be the vice president of the United States, wanting to be the president of the United States. Corey, to you in a second, but Carter, do you feel like a gaffe right now by by Joe Biden if he tries to y- utilize this moment, lean into this moment? Do you think a gaffe is 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 exponentially like worse? It's exponentially more bruising than it would be last week when these protests weren't going on. God, I don't know. I mean, Trump's looking so bad right now. Trump looks so bad. And the people who like, so Hillary's, the problem with Hillary in 2016 is that people just simply could not hold their noses and vote for her. Um, in, in, in really key states, they couldn't put the clothespin on their nose and walk into the voting booth and choose Hillary Clinton. Um, Gosh, I, I mean, I struggle with it. I, I don't know how people aren't applying the clothespin, even if something come stupid out of Joe Biden's mouth. I mean, you're seeing almost instant forgiveness for 
a litany of gaffes that has started from the day he launched his campaign until, uh, well, he's, he's been pretty good for like four days. Uh, I'm not sure four days from the recording of this podcast, he won't have said something stupid again, but I think that we're going to be pretty forgiving um, because we need to be. Corey, same question to you in the sense of, you know, the, this distinction you've mentioned, I really like this concept of political games and politics. It's it's clear, but it's also porous, that line. So if you're Joe Biden right now, what are you what are you trying to do to, like, ensure you're in the politics category, but not so much in the political games category? Also, knowing to Carter's point that it all becomes irrelevant if you don't win in November, which may mean you may need to play a little bit of political games heading into this. Yeah. What, what's the balance look like? Look, I'm, I, I think lucky for Joe Biden, doing the right thing is also the politic thing at this moment. I don't, I don't buy Stephen's argument that the most important thing that Joe Biden needs to do is win. The most important thing is not electing Joe yeah. Biden. That's just such a circular argument. How, the end. How, yeah, how, wait, 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 wait. For, for your for your intellectual inequals. Inequals is that a word? I don't even know if that's a word. Disequals, sub. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. Uh, For for those who don't understand, Corey, why is that a circular argument? Lay it out for us. Well, the ends justify the means, but the ends is the means in this case. We're talking about civic fabric. We're talking about living in a society where there are rules and that we follow these norms. And if you're saying, "Oh, you know what." screw them. This is not the time to come together as a nation. This is the time to to kick Trump's ass. That's that's dumb. That's really dumb to me because all you're doing is you're perpetuating what is a pretty broken system to begin with in the United States. What needs to happen right now is Joe Biden uh, needs to turn the other cheek, pull some of that, uh, you know, that Jesus stuff that uh, I remember reading about when I was uh, in Sunday school. It is time for Americans to 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 say, you know what, it's we'll get back to this. It's a long way to November, but for right now, uh, Joe Biden needs to work with Republicans willing to work with him. Uh, needs to make it known how important those norms are and how much he will support them. And I don't actually, frankly, care if it pays a lick of dividend right now. Or, or if it makes him more likely to be president, I think it makes it more likely whoever the next president is, is going to follow the rules of the game. And that's more important. Uh, but Carter, I just want to make sure you're clear on your point. You weren't arguing that that Biden play political games right now, right? No. I just think that Biden needs to put everything into the, into the filter that um, he's still within a few short months of, uh, of Americans going to the polls. And he needs to really think of the politics of the work of, of the work that he's doing to ensure that he's still on track for 270 because uh, 270 electoral votes changes the mod- will at least modestly change the trajectory of the United States. Uh, let us not pray for miracles, but it will be better under Joe Biden than it will be under Donald Trump. And, and I just don't think that, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's the lowest of ours. Yeah, Just the Susan lowest. The very first principles argument. Susan yeah. Sarandon wanted John, Donald Trump to win so that the world would be on fire. And 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 it is. And, and I want to go to you in a second, Corey, but for those who are playing uh, strategist bingo at home, uh, you can just cross off Susan Sarandon. Um, okay. <laughs> I Listen, we try to get her on the show every single time. Every week. Uh, yeah. And we Every week. Every week we try and we finally done it. Uh, Corey, yeah. I, you you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, listen, let's let's do a bit of a thought exercise here, and this is why Joe Biden winning is not the most important thing in the world. Joe Biden wins, and say the Republicans somehow uh, both hold the Senate and, and do some damage in the House and governor races. You you have not solved the problem. I, you have made something a little bit better. Certainly, getting Trump out of the White House is 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 kind of a you know, bare minimum, but there are other versions that would be better. So imagine if Trump won, but Republicans all of a sudden were willing to check him, right? They were willing to impeach him in this situation. They return to those norms. They say this is unacceptable behavior. That would actually be a better outcome. And I'm not saying it's a more likely outcome, but it's why I fundamentally reject the idea that the most important thing that needs to happen is Joe Biden winning. The most important thing that needs to happen is America needs to return to its, its better ideals, uh, maybe ideals it never fully lived up to, but ideals that at least it used to put on the side of buildings and pretend matter to them. And it, it's time to get back there. 
Uh, Carter, I want to close this segment off with with the line of questioning I asked earlier, but but we really didn't get into, which is, are you surprised that this conversation has picked up so loudly and and so publicly uh, here in in Canada? Are you surprised that that the porousness of this story has been so loud here in Canada? You know, I think that Canada um, picked up the Black Lives Matter movement a few years ago when it was when it was going through kind of its most recent uh, surge because obviously everything goes through peaks and valleys right and and it did okay in its last peak and valley and then we started to walk away from it because it became uh, it, it, it morphs everything morphs and, and we started interpreting it the wrong way or we misunderstand it and we we walk away from it um, Canada was was very interested in it the first time and, and then we walked away um, but anytime the United States decides to do something like this, decides that this is important, we're going to have to wake up and pay attention. Um, you know, we we are them. I mean, we we have an the, the Americans have an influence on Canada that is unlike any other country influencing another country. I think in the world uh, because it's singular, right? Like um, Sweden's going to be influenced by by countries surrounding it, by Great Britain, but, you know, it's going to be, it has multiple influences. Canada is dominated by the United States. So what is happening in the United States is going to be more resonant with us. Um, and we also have a, a similar history. Um, when we colonized North America, it was we, it was us. We were the same. We were, you know, Great Britain and France, Spain, divvying up the Americas uh, as though it was our, our own personal play toy. That was our history. And uh, the subjugation of the peoples that were here begins at that time. And we all share that that burden. The Americans share the, or the Americans own the slavery burden in a different way than we do, but we still own the racism. And so the racism's there, the Black Lives Movement. I'm, I'm not surprised we pick it up because it's it's foundational to who we are as a country. And people need to recognize that. that. And that's one of the reasons I was so angry about Rex Murphy, right? I'm bringing it up twice. Twice I'm bringing up Rex because we are racist as ever, as anywhere here in Canada, because that's the natural human condition in my mind. We'll get into Rex Murphy in a second. And at some point, Carter, you'll have to tell us your tales uh, during colonization when you were there. Um, oh. Corey, Corey, <laughs> uh, it, was just, it was just too easy. Uh, Corey, same question to you. Were you were you surprised? Were you was this did this catch you off guard even a bit as to how much this conversation has permeated here in Canada? And then, as we'll talk about very shortly, kind of created its own waves of conversation around anti-black racism and 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 racism and diversity overall here in Canada. I I would say it's like a remix of a song that was insanely popular down south, and and that has always sort of been the way things roll out here in Canada. Um, when you talk about racism in the United States, you talk about slavery during the you know war of American independence, there were black soldiers who fought on the loyalist side in return for promises of land in Canada. And they showed up here and we gave them really terrible land. Right. I mean, like it, it's just, it's, it's a version of the same prejudice is applied in different ways. So I am certainly not surprised that black lives matters uh, becomes an interpretation in Canada and is made relevant here because we have a, we have the same problems, right? Eric Garner, George Floyd may not have been killed in Canada, but that same underlying pervasiveness, that racism that needs to be dealt with, no matter what Rex Murphy says, um, it exists here, right? And we struggle and we do a better job than America most of the time in dealing with these issues. But that does not mean that they are not uh, issues here in Canada. And so, no, I'm, I'm not really surprised. In some ways, I was waiting to see what the first version of that would be. Um, and I am curious to see where it goes from here because the asks will be different. There's no question about that. Carter, did you want to jump in on something before I move on? I just think that the inclusion of the videos, just because we are, we see so much of their media and um, we're seeing these videos everywhere. You know, the, the feeds that we're getting are, are stacked with it. And I think that Europeans are seeing it as well, but um, I think we're seeing it I, I, and seeing these videos you cannot help but be emotionally impacted. And um, that's what we needed. We needed a good kick in the ass. 
Alrighty, we'll leave it there. And on to our next segment. Our next segment, the borders are open to intolerance. Guys, I want to talk about, yes, he's been mentioned three times, maybe five by this point. I want to talk about Rex Murphy, uh, which is something I have not said since episode four. Uh, when, when, we thought, <laughs> when we thought Rex Murphy uh, had written his last column. Well, 800 episodes later, he has appeared again in Post Media. So to fill everyone in, Rex Murphy has written an opinion column with the headline. I don't have it in front of me, but something to the paraphrased extent of uh, Canada is not a racist country and the liberals not need to stop thinking that it is. Um, of course, the irony lot lost on anyone uh, at least in my Twitter feed, saying that this is a white man uh, talking about how Canada is not racist. Guys, uh, over to you car- first, Carter, just initial reactions on the fact that, of course, Rex Murphy wrote this on the heels of what's happening in the States, as we just discussed. But I want to actually get into not just what he wrote, but the platform that Post Media provides him to write this. Like I, I have, for the last decade, half decade, just hated Post Media viscerally for some of the things they've done but this on the heels of what's happening in the states is probably one of the most irresponsible things i have seen so that's my opinion but carter i want to get your take the calgary sun posted a uh, a tweet yesterday i mean there was a a, a big rig driver a gas a, a tanker truck driver who drove into a crowd of protesters and the sun led with he was beaten as though that was the fundamental part of the of the story he tried to run over the protesters with his tanker truck I think that if he tried to run over me and my friends and my family, I'd have beaten him too. Like this is the, the sun and the post media network is, is modeling Fox news because they see, um, um, they see a lifeline of economic opportunity and their owners from the United States are saying, why don't you try this model? It's worked really well for us. And we're importing um, more racism, more opportunities, uh, Convicted felon Conrad Black fills their 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 pages every fucking weekend. What does Conrad Black have to say that has any intellectual worth to it at all? Nothing. And and Rex Murphy, how is he still? I mean, dude, stop talking. We're done. We're done. We're, I I have no idea why we are forced to uh, to listen to these guys. Except that it's a failed economic model that is trying to be imported into this country because it's the last idea they have left. Thank you. The exuberance and confidence lacking from the first segment is now back for Stephen Carter. Uh, Corey, same question to you, right? Like, are you, are you surprised at this point on post media? Like, do you have any comments on, on them allowing this platform? You know, normally we could talk about any piece they, they, they let loose on any given week, but the circumstances uh, the context is just so uh, uh, unprecedented. Like, are you surprised by this at all? I wonder how many of our listeners would never have come across this piece if we didn't mention it. I mean, post media is not deeply relevant with most demographics outside of Stephen Carter's. You know, it's uh, who reads a newspaper. Um, it, it is an older demographic. It uh, it tends to be more conservative in its outlook. Um, and I'm sure they thought, hey, there's gold in them there, Hills. We just need to put some of these opinions forward. Let's find Rex Murphy, a man who became relevant in the first place, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm not joking here, debating Joey Smallwood more than half a century ago. This is this is just this is not a relevant human being. And I, I actually worry that we're giving him more relevance than he deserves here. I don't know why anybody cares what Rex Murphy has to say about race relations. I truly don't. Uh, you know, this this conversation put, m- makes me want to talk about another incident in, in the last 24 hours, more Alberta specific, but one of the founding members of the UCP, Edamar, uh, effectively going after Minister Ahmed Hussein on Twitter um, in, 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 a, in a, not even a racist tirade, a racist one-liner. Um, so congratulations on brevity, bro. But like, seriously, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and then takes down his Twitter account and then issues a long apology. Um, Carter, like, does this is this changing the discourse like you can see that i'm struggling with questions this week and i think it's i hope it's fine to admit that but i'm just i'm just confounded by 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 the situation here um and 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 some of the things that we're seeing like uh, what what do you think of of what ed's uh was what said last night 
Well, I think what we're seeing is that the right wing is desperately trying to put up a facade that we've never had to deal with this problem. That racism is just absolutely not a thing that Canada has to deal with. And if they say it loud enough and they say it often enough, then we're all going to believe it. And it's just not true. Right. And so, Ed, what Ed was basically saying is uh, don't bring that racism to Canada. You know, it doesn't exist. Well, that's just a load of crap. I mean, we, we'd have to look no further than the way that we treat First Nations to see racism that is, that is systemic and uh, part of our culture. And we don't address it. We don't look at it. And that's not even getting to the carding issues in Toronto. That's not getting to the fundamental and foundational uh, issues of, of persons of color across our country. As, as immigrants. Anytime you want to really rile a conservative, talk about immigration. It's not a logical response. It's a racist response. And we have been trying to push it underneath the, the carpet for as long as possible. And this situation makes it uncomfortable. And if it's uncomfortable for conservatives, they don't want to talk about it. That's what he tried to do. He got caught. He issued the lamest ass apology ever. Uh, and he should just stay off the platform um, and uh, maybe stay out of politics. Corey, any thoughts? I think that's that's a lot extreme. There, there's a bunch of things I take issue with there. I mean, first of all, as we have all said off the top, this is a weird thing. We don't yeah. quite know how to deal with that. We're pretty smart. He, he screwed up. He he fucked up. He fucked up badly. And, uh, you know, his cleaning up was not any more elegant than that. I think it is going way too far to, to say, hey, it just turns out all conservatives are super racist when you talk about immigration. I think that's that's not helpful. That's my personal opinion about it. Uh, but I will say the thing that mostly confuses me about this entire matter is how or why Ed Amar was the founding UCP chair. Uh, so a little bit of background, because, you know, he's not going to be known to most of our listeners outside of yeah. Alberta. I mean, he's, he's a dude. He lives in Edmonton. Uh, he ran for the Liberals in Edmonton Castle Downs, I believe, when, when I was their campaign chair. And then he all of a sudden ends up, I think, in the Wild Rose. And then he's in the UCP, but I, yeah. I I could be wrong about that. And I'm sure I'm missing a few steps in between. He probably was a member of four other political parties in there as well. I just, I, I mention all of this, not because I think it's damning to switch political parties. I mentioned this because <laughs> I, I stay in the same place, my friend. They just move around me. Um, <laughs> the I, I say this because that's not normally the guy you make the chair of your party. No, right? for sure. Right? And, and this is exactly why, like, because somebody whose whose views are going to change and, and is rather uncontrolled in that fashion is going to bite you in the ass a bit later. And then forever when he does these things, he is pointed to as founding chair of the UCP. I can only imagine how unhelpful that must oh, be. I, I can't imagine how Kenny responds to that. Like, well, well, tell I'm me about that. how politically unhelpful is this, Carter? Like, how well, how bad is this for Kenny? I mean, from my experience, there was never there's never a tremendous uh, love for party apparatus from a leader's office because uh, the leader wants to be in charge and the party apparatus knows it's in charge. So you get a, <laughs> sure. you, you get a, a, a natural conflict. And so um, speculating, I don't know for sure, but I would I would venture to guess that the founding chairperson of uh, the UCP was put in place so that he could be controlled. Um, managed by the leader's office, throwing it out there, hypothetical. Um, this isn't controlled. This doesn't help. And I'm sure that Kenny's office was the reason the tweet got deleted. Um, and uh, the pathetic re the pathetic communications response does strike me as a Matt Wolf, Matt Wolf special. Um, it was inadequate, incomplete, and inconsequential. And that says Matt Wolf to me. Jesus. two episodes in a row man yeah Corey, you want to you, you want to finish on this or am i okay to move on yeah i don't know i i mean what what am i going to say i also feel like this is and i'm not trying to be shitty but this is punching down like edamar is not is not some like great titan of political power in alberta like let's just move on the guy the guy said something dumb his reaction was sad in eight different ways and him and Rex Murphy can go cry into their beer together. Uh, I want to. I want to shift it to someone who would not be punching down. Uh, we would, if we if we hit, would not be punching down, which is our prime minister. 
And 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 just to close off this segment, Carter, I'll go back to you. Uh, you know, it, Justin Trudeau was standing at the at the podium today during his uh, daily press conference. Um, you know, speaking against uh, racism, talking about how Canada has systemic and casual racism problems. We need to be better. We need to do better. You know, classic Trudeau stuff. We expect. Uh, does his footing on this uh, particular issue, uh, addressing diversity, multiculturalism, racism, uh, is he have to be careful here, considering his, you know blackface brownface backstory that we that we all know about or, or or can he go you know very hard on on this issue knowing that it's something that the liberals can own how much of his personal past do you think he's taking into the calculus when speaking about these issues especially now that they're so relevant in the zeitgeist yeah i mean i think that his personal past absolutely hurts him on this issue but uh, again i'm informed by my daughter who who's uh was was not comforted by my words of of wisdom or, or insight uh, as we were going through this situation, but heard the prime minister's statement and was comforted by the language and the tone and the pro- the presence of a leader uh, saying the right thing. And she needed it. And even though he's an imperfect leader uh, who did stupid things in the past, um, as we've discussed in the past, in this moment, what he, what he said today, uh, and I won't take it any further than my daughter. My daughter needed to hear it, uh, and it had uh, it landed. So, from my point of view, that's a success. And yeah, I mean, he was an idiot a few times uh, at a time when he shouldn't have been an idiot. But it is um, today's words were were certainly impactful in that audience of one. Corey, is 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 his past part of the political calculus when he speaks on this issue? Well. <laughs> I, I don't know how it couldn't be, I guess, just being realistic about human beings and, and where they are. And um, I'm sure it raises the stakes for him in his own head. It certainly does raise the stakes for him, in in my opinion. And, and so that is going to make him be more cautious. Uh, it will hopefully make him rise to the occasion and do better. There is the risk that he can overcompensate and overswing. So he'll have to keep that in check as well. It adds a layer of complexity and it ups the difficulty of this entire thing for him. There's no question about that. And um, he is really quite fortunate that he has such a terrible counterexample in the United States because I actually don't think he needs to do a ton to hit the mark that uh, Stephen's daughter is looking for there. Um, but, you know, let's let's aim for better than pass here. Let's let's see what we can do. And, uh, you know, we, we're all talking about these issues. Uh, hopefully it, it won't be a situation. By the way, you were saying a carding problem in, in Toronto, Stephen. There's a big carding problem in Edmonton as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, um, there, now's the time to deal with some of this stuff, right? It now, now is not the time to say it's, it's too important to, to, you know, it's too much of a moment. Let's, let's strike while the iron's hot. Let's actually address some of these legitimate problems that we have. Let's talk about our, challenge uh you know being good partners to first nations across this country let's talk about our challenges with race and policing let's do it quote if you were in the pmo right now advising the prime minister would you be taking advantage of, of this moment right now to, to do that is that what i'm hearing you say pushing that for that advice well yeah well look i think i take i, I don't know about take advantage only because it's going to be misinterpreted i i would say Politics is always about meeting what you want to do with what the public wants you to do. And uh, this is this is a moment. And if you ever wanted to do something on this issue, Justin Trudeau, this is when the conversion rate, your political capital conversion rate is is the best. So now's the time to do it. Carter, close this mm-hmm. off. Same question. The advice you'd be giving if if you're in the PMO right now. You, you see the same things with guns. You know, when the when the armed militia were standing on the state houses in their full body armor carrying their AK 15s, it was a perfect time to start talking about making sure that we didn't have the same type of situations happening in Canada. Uh, this is a time to stand up and try and make our society better um, by 10%. And uh, Justin Trudeau needs to do that. Okay, let's move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, the over, under, and the lightning round. Corey, first to you, give us a rating on a scale of one to 10. How perfect is the metaphor that the conservative leadership race will have socially socially distanced leadership debates? The one to 10 on the perfection of said (laughs) metaphor. 
that that is uh, what they have decided to do. Oh, it's you know what? It's two on the nose. One thumb up, one thumb down from me. The the thing is, um, I, they I I don't know what are you gonna say. Yeah, I mean there there is constantly a challenge with social issues in the conservative party and whether they land with the public as a whole. It's probably for the best. You nailed it. That it's, <laughs> that it's not going to be a spectacle. So yeah, Carter, give us give us the ranking on the on the metaphor. It's uh, it's definitely a fail. Um, it just doesn't, doesn't, for, it doesn't fit for me. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's also a time it's hard to be heard, man. Like they're, they're struggling to be heard. Corey to you over, under on seven over, under on seven, uh, the move by Twitter and Jack Dorsey to censor Trump's tweet, uh, singular. And then I guess they added one more thereafter with a different sort of disclaimer, but over under on seven of the, of the strategy of that communications move. Well, Jack Dorsey's kind of like a guy who burned down his neighborhood, but decided just before it, uh, it actually seeped into the ground and made it so nothing could ever grow there again, that he'd stop throwing gasoline around. Like, I don't know how much credit I want to give this guy, but better late than never you know it's um it's really interesting to see that the counterpoint with uh with our friends at facebook there who have decided it will just continue to be a a grim free-for-all but i think that uh jack probably looked around and said holy cow this is getting really bad and as we're all familiar with now there are certain protections in the united states that allow a social network to operate and not get sued to oblivion that's why they're all headquartered there right section 230 of the what is it uh, the digital um whatever act i'm sure it'll come to me in a minute mm-hmm. but um if, if that gets repealed they're toast if people decide more generally this is a social ill and it's going to get in the political crossfires in a big way they're toast and well, I'm sure a lot of shareholders looked at it and said, oh, this isn't very good for Twitter. I think on on net, it was probably the the smart long-term value play for them. They they had to deal with this problem because it, it was just getting too out of control. You've, you've got just a level of misinformation um, out there that demands a response, demands a political response. And it does look like there's going to be a change in November. Another B plus from Corey Carter over under on seven for what Twitter's done. It was a D plus for me. Uh, I, you know, it was a pass, but not enough to advance to the next level. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, Twitter's got this. Well, the United States, uh, the social media libertarians, because there's this kind of idea that we, the you know, the right wants to portray these folks as liberals. They're not liberals. They're libertarians. They think that they really buy into the idea of unregulated free speech. And they've been given a pass that doesn't exist in the newspaper industry. So if you own a newspaper or a magazine or you publish something that is defamatory, incorrect, you know, there's a consequence. The, 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 these people aren't being treated as publishers. They're not being, you know, Facebook's not counted as a publisher in the same fashion that the, the post media is a publisher of, uh, you know, the idiot Rex, um, this is found this is fundamentally creating a challenge because they believe to their core that free speech should not be in any way impinged and it is creating significant challenges because free speech does not equal true speech and there has to be honesty in something uh, Corey, over under on one over under on one the facebook strategy but for Mark Zuckerberg, which was ultimately like, we don't want to be arbiters of anything. Let the money flow. What do you what do you think of their their move? And how do you think it'll cost him? Oh, I mean, I like them less every day, but their demographic is looking more like post media's every day. Um, the, the the challenge Facebook has right now is that uh, it's not exactly lighting the world on fire with a demographic younger than, um, you know, probably yours saying Um because, you know, those of us with a bunch of kids and whatnot use it to share photos of that. But uh, beyond that, like nobody's like, can't wait to get a Facebook account so that my Aunt Karen can have like, her, you know, an eye on all of my social life. It's not happening. So I'm sure that he's making a calculation, Zuckerberg, I'm talking here, that it is better to kind of ride or die with this Republican view on on what a social media network should be. But um 
you know, maybe there's some sort of like libertarian philosophy built into this too, this Silicon Valley ethos. Uh, maybe it'll be the smart play in the long run because it, it keeps the Republicans happier, but uh, it makes them not a political football. But I'll tell you something, Facebook's play is only possible because Twitter did what they did. So if I'm in this broader Silicon Valley area, as much as I might be staking out a difference, I am privately thanking Jack for standing up so that I didn't have to, because otherwise I do believe they would have run into the problem with the um, kind of a broader repeal of the Communications Decency Act. Um, I, to- I told you I'd remember eventually. Oh, so proud of you. Carter, same question. Thank over you. Under- Yeah, okay. <laughs> Little delayed. Uh, over under a- on one, Stephen Carter for Mark Zuckerberg. It's an absolute failure. Uh, he he doesn't seem to to be able to uh, move himself into what he you know he he didn't try and sus- to create any type of a network that fundamentally made the world better. He he tried to care, create an app that would rank you know allow him to access chicks. Uh, you know, like that was that was his stated objective, and uh, yeah, that and every rock and roll band that ever existed, Stephen. Yeah. So. Well, the rock and roll bands at least gave us some decent music, man. Like Kiss, you remember Kiss? They were really good. Uh, <laughs> you and Rex Murphy can go uh, go hang out with Ed in a bar and listen to your favorite Kiss records. <laughs> no, but Zuckerberg's put us in the shitter. Um, you know, he's allowed his uh, his his platform to be taken over. Uh, he's allowed it to, uh, you know progress from this really interesting social engagement structure to a, um, a propaganda machine. And he doesn't give a shit, does not give a shit. He just wants to make the money. And I don't know when one has all the money, like what, one, what do you win when you leave with everything? Like he's an absolute prick. And Corey, last question. Last <laughs> Great. Thank you, Carter. Last question to you, right. Corey. I'll come back to you, Carter, for closing words. Hold on just one second. Corey, are you in or out for the Canadian media this week? How they've covered the protests in the U.S., how they've contextualized them to our country, in or out in the Canadian media this week? I have no idea. Besides the Rex Murphy column, I've been glued to U.S. media. And hmm. I, I guess in that sense, I'm out. I guess I have to be because I literally did not tune in. And Carter, same question to you in or out this week. I would give him a seven out of 10. Uh, of course I you think would. That you know, I think they've been more balanced. Uh, I think that, you know, when I'm looking at um, global down in the States or, you know, we have some friends of ours that are down there, Jackson Proskow and, and Josh Wingrove are down in the United States covering the, the protests in Washington. And um, they're giving me a different perspective and that I, you know, I give them seven out of 10. Uh, it's not Josh Wingrove chasing a armed gunman through the house of commons, but it's pretty close. So I'm pretty happy. We'll leave it there. And that's a wrap on episode 804 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.